Hello, and welcome back to Sessions by The Herb Life, a weekly podcast that brings you a new set of hosts every single episode, discussing everything cannabis. Our aim is to highlight the tremendous efforts of women living, working, and playing in the cannabis arena, while also giving you a direct line into the conversations that are changing the landscape as we know it. My name is Tiana and I'm the session's facilitator and this episode we're joined by Vancouver-based holistic nutritionist Margaret Sung and California-based psycho-oncologist Dr. Sadie Phillips. Have you ever wondered what health practitioners really think about cannabis for cancer? Well, these two have a very thoughtful cross-border conversation about the role of medical cannabis in legalized markets and the relationship between physicians, patients and cannabis. It's interesting to me to hear just how uncertain many medical professionals are about recommending cannabis for cancer patients and patients in general. I always thought that the reluctance came from, you know, years of misinformation and propaganda and combined with an air of arrogance almost, not wanting to accept the new order, so to speak. And while I'm sure there are some people unwilling to move forward, most of the reluctance comes from uncertainty and a genuine concern about harming vulnerable people. For me, this episode really highlights the necessity of getting this information to medical professionals quickly and clearly. As usual, before we begin some housekeeping, we have some great giveaways. All you need to do to go into the draw is to leave us a review. Reviews help us build street cred and also give Gives me a huge boost in confidence. So take a couple of seconds to post your thoughts on whichever platform you're using to listen to sessions. Each episode, two reviewers will win a free copy of the latest edition of the Herb Life print magazine, which coincidentally is available for pre-order right now at theherblifestyle.com. This week, we're catching up with the giveaways and we have four lucky folks getting a Herb Life magazine. Our first winner, JJ Polcat. We've also got Meezy Mizzy. I'll try that again. Meezy Mize. Then we have Erica RML and my fave of the lot, Vatata. So you've all won a copy of the soon-to-be-released Volume 2 of the Herb Life print magazine. Shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram or jump on the website to send in your details and we'll get those out to you. Don't forget, we also have a season finale grand prize, Pax Vaporizer, plus some other awesome Herb Life gifts. So make sure you do leave a review and tell us what you think of our podcast. Of course, you should also check us out online at theherblifestyle.com and follow us on whichever social channels we have in common. We're always putting out fresh content to keep you up to speed on what's what and who's who in cannabis. We also wouldn't be here without our sponsors. Are you thinking of growing your own cannabis? Well, grow organically with Sonoma Seeds. You'll find the best cannabis strains from around the world at sonomaseeds.com. Hemper. It's the best 420 subscription service and online head shop. Their experts handpick 10 items every month to pack into your hemper box, delivering $100 of value for only $29.99 right to your door. All boxes are shipped in plain packaging since hemper values your privacy as much as their own. Visit hemper.co for more info. And now, what you've all been waiting for, Margaret and Sadie. Hey there, Herb Life listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is Margaret Sung and Sadie Phillips. 
um, who's joining us from San Francisco. Hello. I think we should just dive right in. And I'm excited um, about doing this with you, Sadie, because I think that we both have a pretty specific perspective when it comes to this topic, especially around uh, medical cannabis. Um, I'm really curious to know, like, what has your cannabis journey been like in your line of work? Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for having me also. This is so great and an exciting um, conversation. Um, as far as my uh, professional cannabis journey, um, I would say uh, I function most of the time as a clinical health psychologist working with medically ill patients. And over the last 10 years in my training and practice, the idea of medical cannabis um, comes up a lot in the patient population I work with, mostly with cancer patients, but also definitely in cardiovascular medicine, pain management, and also just in the field of mental health with anxiety and depression. Um, so it's been really interesting to see how the field um, is evolving and also how the role of medical cannabis is um, coming into more of a spotlight, especially here in California. Right. Especially in the last couple of years, I would imagine. Absolutely. Um, it's been, in, you know, something that I think has been around for a long time, but because of the changes in the legal system. And I also think just the way the culture is shifting, um, it's become much more accessible. People are talking about it. Physicians are talking about it. Um, there's a lot more communication about how patients are using it in care or avoiding it during care as well. So um, it's an exciting time and definitely, you know, I anticipate it being more and more part of the conversation in the next 10 years. Right. And I'm curious, what are the types of conversations that the physicians are having amongst each other with their colleagues? Well, yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Actually, this year, um, ASCO, uh, who, who uh, is an oncology uh, I forget what it stands for, but, you know, released the first study on um, doctors' perspectives in oncology care and found that around 80% of physicians are talking about it, talking about it with patients, talking about it with each other, um, and most frequently initiated by patients and their families. So it's kind of amazing that they're doing the surveys to kind of find out how doctors are thinking about them, especially in oncology. You know, 30% of those physicians felt knowledgeable enough to talk about medical marijuana, which isn't also saying a lot. It's, you know, in cancer care, we have a lot of informal ways of talking about cannabis, but kind of speaks to how much more research needs to happen. And, you know, luckily, I think now, especially in California, that is happening. It's really exciting, I would say, you know. And I think it's it's just a big part of the conversation um, philosophically um, with different physicians. I know they talk to me about it a lot. Patients say, you know, I talked to my physician. I heard from a friend of a friend that um, utilizing cannabis will really increase my appetite when going through chemo. What are your thoughts on that? I talked to my doctor about that. He kind of had these recommendations um, or no recommendations. So, yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, it's part of the conversation. Would you say that the cannabis education that's happening within the, you know, physician or doctor community is based on 
what they're seeing in their practice. Uh, what about formal education around cannabis? Is there such a thing there? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for all medical practices um, or physicians, but definitely in the world that I've been working in and collaborative um, care, there is more, um, I think, access to educational didactics and programming around cannabis use in clinical population. It's pretty informal. We're kind of, you know, utilizing um, research that has existed, but also kind of informal clinical research. People give presentations. And um, I think more and more there's requests from the medical community to say, wait, you know, we hear about this a lot. Can we put a program together? Can somebody come and talk to us about this? Um, our patients are asking, we want to figure out a, a way, do we have a perspective or a point of view? Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I can understand um, that um, environment as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I'm a, I'm a nutritionist, but even within this realm, it is difficult to find one institution or one organization that will provide us with the type of um, information that we need in order to help people or support people that right. are, you know, using medical cannabis. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that is, you know, I'm only familiar and just, you know, we're at the brink of this in California and in a very progressive town in San Francisco. But, you know, what is it like in Canada? What are, how does that work? Well, we went through legalization. So basically on a federal level, um, cannabis is legalized. Provincially, there are definitely rules and regulations that um, are mandated by the province and that could range anywhere from legal age um, to, you know, where all the the channels that you can purchase and that's for recreational um, cannabis. But when it comes to medicinal or medical cannabis, um, it's been around since the late 19. 90s, I think. And it's, a, it's considered a, a Canadian uh, constitutional right. So we've had access um, to medical cannabis for a little while. And I don't think that it's any um, different than, um, than how you guys, I mean, medical cannabis was accessible before, you know, five years, I would say. Um, so, you know, we have a very similar history, but now people are much more open. And because it's legalized, the floodgates for funding and research have just opened up and we're hearing a lot about research um, just in the last couple of months on, on some of, you know, especially the licensed producers here that are regulated by Health Canada in order to produce. Um, and they're under really strict, you know, rules and, and they need to abide to a certain um, quality. A lot of the research that we've had to date um, I think skewed more around how cannabis might be harmful. Um, And even though that it is completely, you know, uh, um, it needs to be balanced. There's always two different sides of um, an issue. And there there hasn't been, um, you know, substantial research on the benefits. So, you know, we don't really know yet, but we do know I was at this conference a couple of um, weeks ago, um, one of the doctor researchers who's actually doing some uh, doing a study currently with um, with one of the pretty big reputable LPs in Canada, and they were doing a study on opiates. And in their study um, of approximately, I think over eight hundred and sixty something patients that consented to it, um, they saw an 83% reduction in opiate use. Um, 
people that were addicted to um, their, you know, their opiate medication. So it's like pretty substantial. And even That's though huge. <laughs> in, in um, its infancy, in terms of like the information that we're gathering, but we're really learning a lot about that. And because of legalization, this is the reason why. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what else is going to happen and come out of this. Yeah, and I would say very similarly, I mean, in psycho-oncology, which is kind of where I spend most of my time, I think the big feedback is really, you know, it is time to start doing more clinical trials to address these gaps um, in knowledge regarding kind of medical marijuana use and clinical effectiveness um, and really, you know, clarify these roles that that people are are playing um, and its use in in the medical and, and recreational setting. You know, I think, you know, touching back upon what you said about regulation, this is a huge piece of the puzzle, right? So I think um, more and more physicians or people in general, even patients are saying, you know, I used to not really know what I was getting into, um, you know, nobody's buying a dime bag <laughs> in the way that they used to, not really knowing where was this grown? Who grew this? How did this happen? You know, and also just the amounts of products available. Um, so just having a stricter regulation, knowing who's doing this work, how it's being made. Um, no, really, in essence, just to, you know, reconfirm that um, it's a really wonderful time to, I think, um be in this collaborative field and um, kind of really looking at um, how and figuring out the best way to bridge these gaps in knowledge regarding medical marijuana use, um, both from a clinical perspective and medical and even recreational. Right. Well, I'm really curious about like in your practice or, um, in, and your, um, oncology experience, in what instances did you observe where cannabis was helpful and, um, when has it not been? Yeah, I'm, and I'm excited to talk with you about this. I know there's a lot of overlap. I think, you know, the most common question as I kind of briefly touched upon is side effects of, um, cancer treatment are really, really impactful. And I mean, it's different for everybody, but we all know and have heard of somebody who's really sick uh, because of not just their diagnosis, but their, their treatment. Um, so, you know, chemo, depending on what, what we're talking about can cause a lot of vomiting, chronic nausea, um, insomnia. And, um, you know, when we, talk about the old school way of marijuana, you know, the munchies, it actually can be a really great stimulant uh, for appetite um, for these patients who can't hold down food or um, have no appetite. So I think that's the most common way that I interact with it. People say, you know, is that crazy? Is this something I should talk to my doctor about? Um, you know, my, my kid brought me a joint and we're kind of <laughs> explored and I could eat for the first time in a long time. Is that bad? Is it going to have an interaction? A lot of the time I'm having these conversations and reaffirming that it's really important to talk about this with their medical provider, um, which is a great, a great thing. Um, I also know that people you know, I hear a lot of feedback around not wanting the psychoactive effects of marijuana that, you know, not wanting to feel high, um, is something that happens a lot. Um, for some people it's, it's what they want, but for some it's not, um, things like, 
you know, increasing paranoia. Sometimes that happens. Um, our brains are so full of chemicals and we can talk about that a little bit later, um, that, you know, people don't want to feel paranoid or feel more anxious or, um, you know, sometimes the effect of marijuana use can create more, um, issues like, uh, tachycardia or kind of the, um, you know, beating heart, heart out of your chest kind of experience and patients don't really want to have that. Um, so it is kind of that balance and kind of the cost benefit analysis. So again, like with research or just, um, what's out there now being able to kind of hone in, it sounds like on what people are more are wanting, um, but what about you, Margaret? I mean, I'm curious from your perspective, what you're kind of seeing or what those recommendations would be or kind of how you would approach um, that particular side effect, um, which is the, one of the most common. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there everything that you just said. Um, and usually because I'm a holistic nutritionist, um, when people are coming and say they are a cancer, a cancer patient, then I'm always, always, you know, working in conjunction with um, the supervision of their primary care provider. And, you know, I need, you know, I'm usually just very dialed into what is the protocol that they're, um, you know, using at the moment and trying to, to be complementary to that and supportive of that. Um, and I'm not driving any of these decisions because at the end of the day, it's really a discussion that they have to have um, with their doctors and a decision that they have to have, make on their own. And, um, and so my training and my background, which is in, you know, um, in nutrition and also mind body wellness, um, when it comes to, you know, cancer, uh, patients, um, I do try to include everything in terms of like stress reduction, anti-inflammatory, anti-inflammation type of exercises, um, breathing exercises in addition to nutrition. And if they are, you know, using medical cannabis, there are certain things that you can, um, do to help with, brain fog, um, like eating, you know, whole organic eggs and cruciferous vegetables that can help with improve focus or memory. Um, you know, peppercorns are known to help with paranoia, um, not specifically chewing on them, although you do, do hear a lot about that, but, um, you know, black pepper essential oils is a really great way to, um, help with that. Um, I mean, it doesn't work in the same way for everyone and just, exactly the the same as how cannabis doesn't affect everyone in the same way. Right. And I think you're touching on something really important in holistic care, um, which, you know, being a psychologist in a medical setting, working often with a team of nutritionists or acupuncturists and just kind of different supplementary, you know, wellness to this uh, medical lens, um, so much of things are trial and error. And so much of a patient experience is evolutionary. What may be working, you know, in one part of treatment may not work in the second part of treatment as, an, you know, to um, help with a side effect profile. Um, so it's always, you know, I love hearing that because I know 
doctors who are so wonderful and always want to spend more time with patients, but oftentimes are so grateful for their, um, a real comprehensive team because we get to give that feedback back. Hey, this patient's really kind of wondering about this or struggling with this. What do you think about that? Um, cause it, there's never enough time. Right. And back to some of the cannabis risks. Um, I mean, these are pretty like big overarching things that we're always going to talk about in, in terms of, um, you know, things that you might, um, you know, observe in yourself, which are potential allergies. Some people are just allergic to cannabis and it can trigger um, skin reactions or breathing issues. Um, so, you know, that's one thing to think about. And also, obviously, the impact of cannabis um, that it has on a developing brain and things like that. But outside of, you know, um, the usual, like our, my disclaimers, I usually call them. Um, if you are on, let's say a, a client of mine who has, um, fibroids and, um, she's been working with a doctor on whether or not to, you know, go through with the surgery. Um, and, and one thing that she, missed telling her doctor was that she was on a high, high dose of curcumin and curcumin is a blood thinner. Mm -hmm. Taking all these things, thinking that it is um, natural and, and, and it's just a plant or, you know, but they actually have blood thinning properties in addition to the blood thinner that she's already taking. So these are some of the things that are very um, personal and unique to each person. And um, another reason why, like, you know, I always, always tell my clients that you have to let us know on every single supplement that you're taking in, in addition to your diet, because it all has an effect on each other. Absolutely. And I think encouraging patients to feel comfortable talking about that. Um, again, I think just the stigma of marijuana use and the change of that and being able to say, are you you know, what current, what are your current medications or what are you currently ingesting? Really encouraging our patients to say that and write that down, um, especially if they're having uh, surgery and we know, you know, just with, we're not fully aware of the effects of, you know, marijuana use with pre and post anesthesia patients, um, definitely pre it's not recommended or, you know, patients with higher risks after surgery, like pneumonia, things like that. But I think, you know, people used to not really feel comfortable disclosing because there was fear of judgment. Um, so really, you know, we get to be people that are kind of empowering also our patients to be good patients. Right. That's true. Very true. And I think you bring up a really good point in, in helping. I mean, there's one component of, you know, working with someone, which is to help them feel comfortable and talking to you about everything that's happening in their lives. Right. Um, I'm really curious about what you mentioned earlier about um, brain chemistry. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of my disclaimers is each brain is really different. So what works for some people isn't going to work for everybody. And in general, when talking about psychotherapy, um, which we know has the impact to change our brains or psychotropic medication or um, even, you know, oral chemos and the effect that it has on things like short-term memory or executive functioning um, and cannabis, you know, how do, how do these things play together? How do they dance? Um, we just 
know so much and we still know so little. So it's important to, in that world of trial and error, you know, keep that in mind as you're making recommendations. And I know um, people who do prescribe both cannabis and also um, medical um, uh, medication intervention. That's just something to always keep in mind. And I think an important thing to tell, tell patients about that, you know, 50 years ago, smoking a joint, they weren't really talking about the cannabinoid effect in your brain. <laughs> they were like, is this, you know, I feel pretty chill or, oh, I have more energy or I don't, or um, this is enhancing something or, you know, I have, I'm sleeping a lot. So we just know a lot more about how different parts of the brain are impacted by different neurotransmitters and, um, and different, you know, ingestible items, even alcohol and um, cigarettes or anything really. Um, and now even with the added layer of the endocannabinoid system, it's just, right. there's a lot going on, I would imagine, in the world of mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for people with much, you know, pre-existing psychiatric disorders, um, that's a really, you know, learning about um, susceptibility and the impact of cannabis use, um, or, and really cannabis use and uh, among other things on things like, you know, people who maybe don't realize that they have a psychotic disorder or are more susceptible, um, to kind of different clinical experiences in other ways, even things like anxiety, right. Um, that knowing that, Hey, there's sometimes parts of cannabis that can actually exacerbate those symptoms or with depression, exacerbate those symptoms. Um, really learning about causal effects too, you know, versus acute use of, um, a cannabis intervention versus a chronic use and how that really changes our, our chemistry. <laughs> so, yeah. What well, do you, are there, is there anyone that talks about in mental health specifically, um, how strains might, um, I guess, contribute to exas exacerbating anxiety or things like that? Yeah. I mean, I think there should be more, again, I think there needs to be more education. I think, you know, I've had to been able to, given the city I'm in, getting my educational background, getting, you know, really good mentorship and um, teachers have been able to learn a lot of that. But I would say that not everybody who has a more kind of neurological interest, um, I would um, assume and hope a lot of psychiatrists um, are able to have that conversation or illuminate it. Again, I don't, you know, they ask and screen for those questions, but it's up to the patient to tell the truth <laughs> and say, yeah, I, I use this recreationally or um, this was prescribed to me also for anxiety or whatever it is. Um, you know, there is a, a startup here in the Bay Area that you could get medical marijuana um, basically within 45 minutes. You know, you call, you kind of explain your symptoms and it, one of the, you know, looking at different, the different kind of qualifying diagnosis. So you could say anxiety, you could say headaches, you could say sleep, you could say whatever. And a physician would call, not necessarily a psychiatrist or somebody who I think probably has a much larger um, 
understanding of the brain chemistry side of things and would say, okay, well, let's, let's get this for you, which was kind of amazing to me for better or worse. You know, I think I was like, wow, there are people I know who maybe are abusing that accessibility and kind of, um, before recreational marijuana was available here and wanting that. And then on the other side, you know, I was like, wow, this is really wonderful. Um, I have patients who are able to access this from their home. They don't have to go to a medical dispensary. They're, um, you know, able to feel more comfortable kind of talking with a physician, um, on the phone about these symptoms. You know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's the wild west, literally. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I can understand that perspective because I remember working with some of the local doctors here who do provide authorization and, um, looking at their sort of, um, patient forms and the, the, you know, the, the area where it does kind of qualify you for whether or not you, you might be, um, you know, at risk of, um, you know, a family history that has mental health and things like that. But it's, it's not very, there aren't very many questions. (laughs) It's mostly like, have you had a history of schizophrenia? Um, you know, have you ever been diagnosed of anxiety, depression, and do you have family history of, of any mental illness? And, you know, in the beginning, it made sense. But the more that I learn about it, the more that I'm like, wait, I think that there's probably more to this that we might want to know. <laughs> um, but I, I read some something that really was interesting. Um, and I mean, cannabis is such an ancient plant and it is referenced in uh, traditional Chinese medicine and also in um, Ayurveda. And, um, you know, in Taoist text, I think it, they reference cannabis using use in um, incense burning to achieve like a state of wellness. Or um, I think in the Vedic scriptures, it refers to cannabis as you know one of the five sacred plants. And you, I also have been reading that cannabis has been used um, not only in um, for health and wellness, but also in shamanism. And I, I'm just really curious about that. Like in your perspective, why? Would you think that that would, you know, why would have been used in shamanism? Yeah, I mean, I don't know a ton. (laughs) Um, I'll be forthright in saying saying that. But I think, you know, there is such a strong tradition in so many different cultural backgrounds. And I think... In, in everything. I mean, we could get really out there and philosophical about healing yeah. and about herbs and about, you know, ancient practice. And, um, and I think that it probably lent itself quite highly to that. Um, and I, you know, I, I like thinking about that because I think it really lends itself to, you know, where we are now. There's a long tradition of, um, naturopathic plants, um, in medicine. That's, it's the evolution of the field of medicine. It's the evolution of the field of, you know, nutrition and anything. And so it's, it's, there's, we all, we all kind of, um, rely heavily on plants in so many ways, but I, I, I think it's, it's important as we're moving into this next kind of realm, when you're talking about, uh, strict regulations and grow houses and extracting and different 
you know, ways in which people are utilizing this from just an individual and treating somebody that way to also just a very huge, large systemic shifts. So, you know, in some ways it's like, this is so new. We're going, wow, this just happened. But in some ways this has been going on for a very, very, very long time in a variety of different ways and forms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of curious, um, for you, you know, is there specific training, um, you know, in the work that you do that people, um, kind of engage in? Is there a certificate? I mean, is there, right. Well, what is that? (laughs) Yeah. You have, we're finding that, um, Hmm. Well, what, what I know is that many of our major, um, pretty reputable universities and colleges now have cannabis training um, programs. Oh, wow. Whether it be cannabis marketing or um, how to set up your own cannabis business. And um, there hasn't been a whole lot around medical cannabis, uh, just because we are still waiting for a lot of information. Um, But I think that people that have been in this, um, you know, for a long time and who have been the pioneers and the activists who have a lot of experience working, um, with people that really just, you know, they either decided to, because they believe in it, or at that, at that point they had no choice. Like they, they really, this, it was this or, or, you know, something, or not, not looking at what they're going, what the issues that they're going through at all. So, um, we've got, I think that there has been substantial, um, data gathered, but obviously it wasn't in like a, 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 it's not a research-based, um, study. And so going off of what we know, um, that is based, based on what people are reporting, but, um, there is, there are a few schools popping up that are talking about, not necessarily the therapeutic um, ways to use cannabis, but just research and facts and things that people have been finding. Um, right. And I think some of the time practitioners like me will look to places like Colorado, um, where they have a few more years um, on us around this time. Right. And they do have schools and holistic academies that provide these types of, this type of information. Uh, I haven't personally taken them yet because, um, right now I'm working with people that are local and really, um, you know, have been in it for a long time and, and there's just so much to learn. So, um, we'll, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see how it all evolves. <laughs> I have another question and I'm, I'm, I have a feeling you probably experienced this as well, but I often get a lot of questions from patients or even, um, you know, patients saying to doctors or doctors coming to me and saying, you know, what do I say here? You know, when patients are saying we, we, with this kind of, in this new, very, um, high end world of cannabis, I should say, or accessible, um, making recommendations. When do I use a sativa? When do I use an indica? When do I use a hybrid? When, you know, it's not something I know a lot about. For I mean, in, as a layman, sure. But you know, what do you say to patients? What do you say to providers who ask you those questions? Um, who do you refer them to? Yeah, and that's a common question. Um, we used to think that indica was also 
you know, to help people remember, we'd say in the couch so that, you know, that it's like a downer, (laughs) relax and the classic. Right. Um, But actually it's not really the case because some people might take Indica's and they'll feel really uplifted and energetic. And some people will um, experience like, you know, the very sort of relaxed, um, wanting to go to sleep type of um, effect with sativas. And the name Indica sativa refers to um, the plant itself and um, where it's grow, like where it grows geographically, you know, one is longer and um, grows higher and one is shorter and rounder. And so, you know, most of our strains now are hybrids. Um, it's very difficult to find like a, a pure sativa and a pure indica. And I always compare it with apples. In order to have one pure type of apple, you have to make it, a, a, you have to work hard at it and keep that um, from crop pollinating and evolving because that's just how life works and how nature works. And that's how I compare it to the strains now. Um, and so most of that's a really great example. Right, are are hybrids. Um, they might have sativa-like qualities because we need a way to describe them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that will be how it affects you. And so we have this, um, I think the states use this this approach too, called start low, go slow. Right. And if you're new to it, microdosing is a really great way to start um, and get an idea. What is microdosing? Like, what do you say to patients when they, or anybody? Because I'm hearing that a lot as well. Right. Um, microdosing is essentially a very, very low dose um, and some people will try to put a number on it. So, you know, in some instances, they'll say um, one to two milligrams or less. And then in some in- instances, it'll be less than five milligrams. Um, but essentially, when we talk about microdosing, it's not about necessarily um, the feeling of euphoria, but it's just enough to um, help you feel what you need to feel, whether it be um, relaxed or maybe it's a, maybe it's a, um, a, a relaxation in the mind or in the body, or maybe it'll help pain. Um, but it's just enough to get you there, but it's not necessarily enough to like make you feel like there's a, a very heavy psychoactive effect on you. And this is a great way for beginners. Um, just to learn what their, um, where their threshold is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's just, you know, we're using so much of the same terminology that we talk about, um, when people are trialing pain medication, um, and thinking about, you know, what is that threshold or pain management? So it's, it's kind of amazing to think about using, you know, this medical language and the way that we talk about, you know, medication, traditional medication in the medical setting, um, and applying it to, um, how we're talking about, um, cannabis use. Right. Um, have you encountered, um, people that have used, uh, synthetic cannabis? Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I don't know the logistics I would say in that case, but I would, you know, I've worked in a lot of different oncology centers and typically, and you know, maybe this is changing the last few months with our recreational, um, you know, our physicians would say, yeah, you know, I can write you a prescription. It's up to you and the dispensary to figure out what the best 
methodology is in the best way. So most of the physicians I've worked for aren't, you know, giving, they're giving of general prescriptions, but not recommendations of pills versus, you know, something else. I mean, I think they would say probably for lung cancer patients, it's not a good idea to smoke. Um, but you know, I think mostly here, the system has relied heavily on, um, people in these medical dispensaries to make those, um, recommendations, um, on behalf of, of, um, the physician, which has been complicated again, which is, you know, coming back to why regulation and having more education for the doctors, I think is essential. Um, and they, and they want it because the conversations are, are, are happening, you know, 80% of the physicians in the U S it's, it's happening in practice, but going, well, what do I do and who's doing it? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, I think you bring up a, an interesting point because I, I do experience this here as well, which is when patients get their medical cannabis authorization and the doctor's like, you know, the, the obvious things like you probably better to um, consider maybe an oral uh, in terms of like an edible, um, maybe an oil or capsule, but not smoking if you have respiratory issues and things like that. Um, but then after that, it's, it's, they're on their own. And um, there's so much about cannabis and the way that you can work with it, um, depending on whatever ailment that you're experiencing. So you know, if you have a GI issue, it's probably better that you consider eating it. So it gets into your digestive tract and, that doesn't mean eating anything <laughs> you like. It means eating things that are also going to be helpful for your GI tract, like probiotics. And that can be worked into, let's say, you know, we can make it fun. We can make it like a probiotic guacamole or hummus that has CBD or cannabis oil in it to help with inflammation. So there's so many, it's so versatile. Um, but you know, the information, it, it, like how you get that information can some, sometimes be tricky. Right. And, and I think for a lot of patients, it's really intimidating to go in somewhere or to have that, you know, yet another provider, a cannabis provider and say, here's what I'm dealing with. You know, I was recently diagnosed with, um, uh, on, with a cancer diagnosis or a cardiovascular issue or whatever it is. And, you know, here's what I'm dealing with. What would you recommend? You know, it, it's, uh, I think can be really challenging and, um, and hard on the patient. And again, you know, the more I think we're able to encourage those conversations, um, and collaborate between these different disciplines, um, the better it will be. Like, wouldn't it be great if whatever dispensary then sent a little note to the referring provider saying, this is what I came up with. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I also I also remind people that um, you know there are other alternatives to cannab cannabis also. Um, Absolutely, you have inflammation. You know, there's there's turmeric that you can eat, and if you you know have um, you know pain or respiratory issues, you can use magnesium to help open up your bronchial or respiratory system. So, you know, it's, there there are other plants out there that have just um, as much therapeutic properties. Um, yeah, so absolutely. And there's a lot of, you know, inaccurate information out there. I think that's a big part also is like, well, I heard this and I heard that. And, you know, uh, 
And, and I think that's with anything, actually, you know, people with psychotropic medication for depression or anxiety, you know, are saying, well, I heard I may have to be on this forever. Or I heard if I exercise, it's just as effective as, you know, um, taking an SSRI for treating depression. And you kind of hear these stories or buzzwords or things like that. And it really, you know, involves really communicating with the patient, talking them, assessing them, really figuring out what these things look like and coming up with a really effective treatment plan. Um, Because we know that not just one thing works. We know that sometimes we do need to rely on on, uh, an SSRI to do something different that not other medications can do. Um, or, um, and, and, you know, it is a balance, um, but it definitely involves communicating with patients. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Well, actually, I think we're almost out of time. Is there something that you want to, anything else you want to talk about? I think this has just been so great to connect and hear more about what's going on in Canada and your practice and the patients that you're seeing. Um, it's been so great to, you know, hopefully um, share a little bit about oncology care and psycho-oncology care. Um, But what I think is just amazing is how much we're able to talk about this. So the fact that there's a podcast to really highlight some of these issues is tremendous. Right. And one of the reasons why I was really um, wanting to talk to you specifically about this is you know, working with people um, and patients, knowing that, you know, cannabis, it can be a really helpful tool, one of the to- of the many tools in, right. in health and wellness, um, but it's not always the answer and you and definitely should proceed with, with some caution um, and make sure that um, there's tons of like good studies out there now that we can refer to. And, and, you know, if, you are working with a healthcare professional. I'm sure that they would be able to help with some of that if you have questions and and how important it is to really be a team um, with all the people that are helping to look after you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Sadie. Um, And um, thank you so much to the Herb Life for having us as guests here uh, and to the listeners for tuning in. I definitely had a blast. This was so informative. Me too. Um, And yes, and I'm really honored to have been a part of this conversation with you, Sadie. Me too, Margaret. Thank you so much. I hope you found that as informative as I did. A big thank you to the wonderful Margaret and Dr. Sadie Phillips. You can find their links and contact details in the show notes. Give them a follow on social media. And while you're at it, make sure you follow The Herb Life on Instagram and sign up to our email subscription as we have a ton of great articles showcasing exactly what The Herb Lifestyle is all about. A big, big thank you to all of you listening as well. So much love to everybody out there. Sessions by Herb Life is a production of Blue Dream Media, produced by Tiana Matliowski and executive producer Jill Pollard.